Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, it's so fun, as I said, to celebrate um, City Bridge and our family and all of that, but we just wanna remind you again, our heart is that we worship and that we serve Jesus and that he gets the glory in everything that we do. And so you, when you wanna be a church like that, you've gotta establish some vision and values. And so we're gonna spend the next few weeks talking about those things, but it's not unlike what you do uh, in your family. Like you have a vision and values for your family. I wish Trish and I would have been smart enough um, early in the years of raising kids to have those things displayed uh, in our kitchen or in our den where our girls could see them and they would just sink in a little differently. We weren't that smart, but we did as they got older and they moved into the preteen and teen years we kinda, I asked them over the holiday, I said, okay, if you were gonna tell me, communicate back to me what you thought our vision and value were, values were as a family, what would you say? And they hit them, so they, they hit them fairly well, but we just didn't have them written down. But I just wanna tell you what some of those foundational family guidelines were for the, um, for the Kegler family. And so we talked a lot about learn to discern, you know, just that you're gonna need to use wisdom to make decisions in your life. We talked about modest is hottest, right? That that's just a cheesy way to say that. That that value led to the great bikini battle of 2012, okay? Just so you know, it was quite the battle that we had. At our house, there's more details uh, to that. Another one was uh, no whining. So kind of that, oh, dad, please, can I have another one? Please, please, please. Ask for the second or third time, right? Can, can I do that? And so I just said, Hey, you can talk, you can communicate, you can even cry, that's good to express those emotions if you want to, but you cannot whine. And it's the thing that saved me, right, through the preteen and the teenage years when there was, there was no whining. Another one that we had was that communication builds trust and gets you freedom. So you know how a lot of uh, junior high and high school kids will walk in, hey, uh, how was it? Fine and they just walk down the hallway, close their door, and jump on whatever they jump on, right, their phone or whatever. And so I just said, hey, there's, there's consequences to that, so if you will communicate with me and your mom, okay, and I know who you're with, and I know where you're going, and I know if you change locations, as I get more of that information, that builds trust. And as, I build, as you guys build trust with me, I give you more freedom. So anytime they'd walk in, and move, I would just say, hey, just remember, it's good for you that you give me details about where you have been, because it's gonna be more freedom for you. So that was a big one uh, for us. And then the biggest one uh, that was really important for us, that we're gonna live by the truth and that we are gonna tell the truth, was one of the big ones. And so, you know, Trish and I decided years ago that um, Joshua 24, 15, I think, I said, me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord, is what it says. And so we would say to our girls sometimes, Hey, it's, your, it's just your bad luck that you were born into this family, right? Because this is, this is how we're gonna live. And I know it can be really hard, but this is the way that that is gonna happen. And so, man, we, we worked hard to instill those values, and we knew that if we didn't get those right, 
that it would lead to personal consequences for all of us, significant consequences, and it would lead to family consequences. And that even happened one time as, um, okay, I'll just say it. She's my youngest, Kendall, she's here in the front row, okay? So um, I'll have to pay her for that. That'll cost me a dinner for sure. Um, but so she went through this season of where she wasn't telling the truth. She was managing information. She wasn't out doing anything crazy, but kind of managing information. And so um, one, one night, Friday night, she came and she said, hey, Dad, I'm going to breakfast tomorrow morning with a friend, uh, with a girlfriend. And we said, awesome, that's great. And so that morning around 9 or 9.30, we hear this, and this big truck, pickup truck pulls up, and there's not a girl in the driver's seat, okay? And so we're giving her the benefit of the doubt, and we say, hey, maybe he's just picking her up, and they're gonna go hang out with this other gal, right? So we tried not to overparent, which was a ditch for us at times, um, and, but we get a phone call, speaking of chaos, 30 minutes later, and it's Kendall saying, and she learned this really well, hey, Dad, I'm fine. That was great. But she just said, we just got T-boned. The car rolled two times, and I was hanging upside down in a seatbelt. And I'm like, oh, okay, significant consequences because we didn't live by the vision and values that we had in our family, right? And so she came home and we worked through it and I would say, I don't know what she would say, you can ask her after the service, but that was the pinnacle of when she kind of got it, right? That the, the little bit of deception and things like that does not lead to blessing. Living according to the boundaries we have in our family brings blessing. And I just wanna tell you, it's the same in a church, right? We have vision and values in our church. Okay, so that it will bring blessing and we will stay away from chaos. I've been a part, you heard Grant and Carol talk about a church experience they've had. I had a church experience where there was a church split and there was secret meetings and there was gossip and factions that were forming because the church didn't live by the values that the scripture lays out for us. So today, okay, we're gonna get the number one value Right, we are gonna talk about it, we're gonna pray it in, we're gonna sing about it, we're gonna do that, and that is that Jesus Christ gets all the glory. That everything that we do as a church family is to honor him and see him advance his kingdom. So what I want you to do is be thinking as we go through this, okay, we're gonna talk about who Jesus is, okay, his character, we're gonna talk about how he operates, we're gonna talk about what he accomplishes, and we're gonna talk about what he deserves, okay? And what he deserves, I'm just gonna to get to the application right now. What he deserves is our full devotion. What he deserves is our worship. See, one of these days, every knee's gonna bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's gonna happen. I think I want Jesus to get what he deserves now. Okay, that's what I want. I want to do as much of that as we can, and I hope you do too. I hope that you will, as we go through the message today, you'll say, hey, how am I doing here and understanding who he is? How am I doing and am I operating as Jesus modeled it for us? And so turn deep in your Old Testament. We're going to do this out of, out of Isaiah 42, okay, 1 through 4. And before you, while you're flipping there, so one of the things you need to know, just a little bit of context in history, is that the nation of Israel had hit its peak and its climax when Isaiah comes on the scene and they're kind of on the beginning of the downhill slide. 
Okay, so during David's reign, during Solomon's reign, they peaked and then they kind of start coming down. And so they've got external pressure from Gentile nations, uh, Assyria, Babylon, external pressure. There's internal pressure because they're starting to move away from obeying the commands of the Lord. And so implosion is kind of beginning to happen. And so Isaiah comes on the scene and he just says, hey, folks, nation of Israel, we need a new commitment to listen, to trust God, and to obey his commands. And so think about that for a second. The parallel that that is for us in our country right now. Okay, we have external pressure from other nations. We hear about North Korea, we hear about China, we hear about Russia all the time, messing with elections and all kinds of other things. There's an internal implosion, okay, that is moving our way because we're walking away from the things of God. And so that's gonna happen. And so what I want City Bridge to be, I want us to be Isaiah's, okay? I want us to come, as we start our church, I want us to say, hey, there is a new message that our church wants to bring to our communities. And that is that we want to grow in our ability to listen grow in our ability to trust and grow in our ability to serve and love God and to obey his commandments. So let's look at Isaiah 42, one through four. And so this is Isaiah, 500 years before Christ comes on the scene, but he's talking about the Messiah. So the father talking through Isaiah about the Messiah. And he says, um, when behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And so the first thing that he does is he says, behold my servant. You just got Isaiah's two favorite words, okay? 27 times in the book of Isaiah he uses behold. 40 times he uses servant in that book. And some of you, your translation may say look your servant. I'm just telling you, you're getting cheated. Okay, those guys are a lot smarter than me that translate the Bible. Okay, but if it says look, that is not what God's wanting to communicate. God's wanting to communicate, behold, pay attention. Hey, human race, look what I'm about to unfold before you. Pay attention. You can look at other places in the scripture and it says behold, behold, behold. And so God cares about this moment that's happening. Behold my servant. And he goes on to say, as I read in the passage, uh, whom I uphold, my chosen one. This is the father talking about Jesus. My chosen one in whom my soul delights. So the father is saying, this dude is awesome. Okay, he is incredible. And it reminds me, for those of you that know your Bible, if you go to his baptism or you go to the transfiguration there's an audible voice, the scripture says, that comes out of, a set of heaven at his baptism and at the transfiguration, and it's the father talking, and he says, behold, this is my son, listen to him. This is my son, I'm pleased with him. And so God is saying to us, Old Testament, New Testament, pay attention to my servant. God is saying through Isaiah, hey, he's coming. He's unique. 
It goes on to say that passage that I have put my spirit upon him. That passage, all that means is the father is saying, hey, I've given Jesus everything he needs, okay, to execute my master plan, my vision for all of eternity. He's saying Jesus has the power and the sovereignty to do everything I want to see accomplished across the ages of time. And who is this Jesus? Man, he is the son of God, and he is the supreme, sovereign ruler of the universe. That's who he is. This Jesus that we wanna give all the glory to, that's who he is. And so I wanna read a passage out of Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna read it slowly, and I want you to take it in, okay? And it's really our prayer as elders and leaders for our church going forward. I hope it'll be an adopted prayer for you as our body to pray for our church. But it's Paul talking to the church of Ephesus, and one of the things that's helpful when you're studying your Bible Okay, is that anytime you see a pronoun, you wanna identify that pronoun. This is a passage where if you don't do that, you're gonna be lost. So I kinda did it for you, okay, as we look at this. And I just want you to listen to who Jesus is and what the Father, the Father's lavish love for his Son. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of the Father's calling. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. What are the riches of the glory of the Father's inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of the Father's power toward us who believe, for us, Christ's followers? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of the Father's might, which he brought about in Christ. It happened because of Jesus. When the Father raised the Son from the dead and seated the Son, Jesus, at his Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, here we go. This is what Jesus got from the Father. He placed him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, the Father, put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet, gave Jesus his head over all things to the church. Jesus is head of the church. He's head of our church, the elders, the leaders of this church. We report to Jesus. He's the commander, which is his body. Jesus is by the church is his body, the fullness of Jesus who feels all in all. That is our Jesus. That's who deserves all of the glory in my life, in your life. And I would just ask you a question, how you doing? At understanding who Christ is and giving him the glory that he deserves. There's a great passage, John 17, kind of 13 through 17 is called the high priestly prayer. And it's right before Jesus is going to the, the cross and it's really detailed instructions that he's given his disciples. And right in the middle of that passage in John 17, 17, three, he just says, this is eternal life. So he's saying to the disciples, hey, pay attention. I'm telling you what eternal life is. That they may know, this is Jesus talking, that they may know the Father, okay, and the Son whom he has sent. And so he's just saying that's how you begin to understand who God is, that you begin to know the Father, you begin to know the Son. And so I wanna tell you, I know we've got some folks here that are kinda bored uh, in their Christian life. 
okay, and are just kind of ho-hum about following Christ. I just want to tell you, you don't have a boredom problem. Okay, you've got a king problem, is that you don't understand who your king is and what he's asking you to do. Some of us are stuck in habitual sin and addictions and things like that, and your problem is not the addiction, okay? Your problem is that you've got a king problem, is that you don't understand this king and what he has for you and the blessings and all the inheritance that he has for you. Because if you did, okay, you would fall on your knees and raise your hands and say, hey, God, I'm all yours. Kyle, on staff at this church, addicted to food, trying to figure out how to do a better job with the nine to 11 time slot at my house. I just tend to waste that time on a regular basis and I've been talking to you. I don't have a time management problem. I don't have a food problem. I have a king problem, right? Is I don't understand who this God is like I should because if I did, I'd use that seven to nine time as like, hey, I wanna know more of you and how you operate in the universe. And so the first thing that we do is we understand that Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe and that we have the incredible privilege of having an intimate relationship with him. The king of the universe wants to talk to you all the time. All the time he wants to communicate with you. Our deal is we got wax in our ears and we're not listening. And so we have got to grow in our ability to listen, the great news, if as I've talked about those things and you're like feeling guilty or convicted or ashamed, stop. Jesus says in John 8, when he is the, the woman that was caught in adultery, a bunch of folks are there and they want to stone her and Jesus just says, hey, he, who, he who's here first among you can cast the first stone. Everybody walks away. And Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, he just says, hey, is there anybody here that condemns you? And she goes, no one, Jesus. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So don't spend any time in shame and guilt and regret. Just tell the Lord today, when you go home or tomorrow morning when you get up, hey, God, I am yours. I want to be your servant. I want to grow in understanding who you are and the mission that you have for me. That's the application if you're here and you spent five minutes with the Lord every four weeks, how about do that every other day? If you're here and you spend time every other day, how about you just add? So for our body, I want us to grow in our ability to listen to the Lord and to obey his commands. It will have such an impact on us and on our community. And so we give him the glory because of who he is. The second thing that's in that passage is how he operates, the answer to the question. In verse two, it just says, he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. What in the world does that mean? Okay, this is the Lord through Isaiah saying, hey, this is how he is gonna come. And summarizing those two verses right there, it just says that Jesus is not gonna come self-promoting, manipulating, using coercion. He's not gonna be ostentatious. He's not gonna be aggressive. He's not gonna be threatened. He's not gonna advertise. He's not gonna use fog machines. He's not gonna use slick communication pieces. 
Nobody's gonna write a book about him right then and he's not part of the next fad. See, the way of Jesus that's an example to us starts in Bethlehem in a manger with shepherds as the audience. A few kings were there as well. He's a carpenter in a small town. He's a small town rabbi. But here's what Jesus did. Okay, even in all of those kind of humble beginnings, okay, Jesus served folks. He loved folks. He was washing feet. He was touching leopards. He was giving women value. He was giving kids value, which never happened in that culture. So how does Jesus operate? What's the example he sets for us? It's to serve other people. It's not about bring me the glory. It's how do I serve and operate? And I have to be really careful here. If I'm really honest with you, back when I heard we were launching our campus back in February or January, I'm like, this is gonna line up perfect. Okay, on January the 3rd, we're gonna have phase two complete. Everything inside's gonna be painted. Everything outside's gonna be painted. We're gonna have our banners and our signs, and it is gonna be, woohoo! come on. Because I like the wow factor, right? I want you to come in and I want you to go, wow, that was awesome. And so because of COVID and because of permits and because of all that kind of stuff, very little of that happened. And this was a great passage for me to study when I was kind of discouraged that these things weren't coming together like I was hoped. And Jesus just reminded me, said, hey, big boy, slick communication packages, paint, those, that's not the way of Jesus, right? The way of Jesus is how do we look to love and serve other people? And so Jesus' method of operation is servanthood. And it's exhibited in the Trinity, right? The way of the Father is serving. The way of the Son is serving. The way of the Spirit is serving. We've taught here before that the nature of God is this incredible dance where the Son glorifies the Father and the Spirit glorifies the Son and the Son says, hey, Father, send the Spirit to this earth. And if you just go read again in John 13 through 17, it's phenomenal. And that's the nature of God. It's the example that Jesus set and it is our example going forward. And it's summarized in a passage in the New Testament you guys may be familiar with. We have our folks that are going on um, discipleship trips and memorize this. It's in Mark 10, 42 through 45. Let's read it together. It says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, again, Jesus with his disciples, you know that these who are rec- those who are recognized as, as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They think they're awesome. Their great men exercise authority over them, but it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So just a couple of thoughts here. You have been given by the Spirit of God, if you are a Christ follower, a gift, a supernatural ability to do something for the sake of God's kingdom. And if you're not using that gift, you are missing out on God's blessing. I just wanna declare that to you here. There is something God wants to teach you when you're using your gift, and if you're not, you're missing that. 
I also want to tell you that if you're not using your gifts, you're hurting our church. This church that we want to be is City Bridge. There are so many things that God wants to accomplish through us that if you're not serving and using your gifts, it hurts us because we can do so much more if we had all these amazing gifts, 100% of our body was fully utilized. Can you imagine what God would do through us? So I would just ask you as we're going through our time this morning, hey, am I using my, am I using my gifts? Do I know what they are? If you don't, we can help you. We wanna help you. We can kinda grow you in your gifts. We'll put you in a place Okay, that will help you learn to serve, and then you can lead others in serving, and we want you to use all of those gifts. And so how does he operate? It's servant, servanthood. Let's keep moving as we, the end of verse one, at the end of verse three, and then verse four, there's a theme that, that comes out. In 1B of this passage, it says, he will bring forth justice to the nations. This Messiah that's coming in 500 years is gonna bring justice to the nations. He will faithfully bring forth justice at the end of verse three, and then in verse four, he says, he will not be disheartened or crushed and he, until he has established justice in the earth. And folks, Jesus is coming, okay? And he is gonna, when he says justice, he says, I am gonna set things right. And so we live in this parenthetical age right now. So if you think back in your Bible to chapter one and two, the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden, where God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, and it's perfection. Incredible communication, you know, no pain, no tears, no anything. It's just awesome. And then there's this picture that the scripture paints of heaven that we're going to that's gonna be the same thing. That the kingdom of God's gonna be established right on earth and everything that God wants to happen is gonna happen. But we're stuck right now in this parenthetical age. It's called the already not yet. Like some of these things are happening now, but they're not being fulfilled, okay, until God, Jesus comes back at his second coming and establishes those very things. So what we do, remember his church, Ephesians 1, the, body, the Christ is the head, the church is his body, is we want to be a part of his plan to establish justice on this earth. We want to be a part, part of God's kingdom where sin and injustice are judged, where righteousness is rewarded, where acts that are done behind the scenes that nobody knows about they get credited. There were people up here all day yesterday setting up things for today. Nobody knows their names, but what they did is blessing you right now, and you may not even know it. There's so many of you, so many of you that are serving behind the scenes, and it is a glory to God to watch you do your thing. And if you're not, I wanna encourage you to jump in so that you can bless Bless our body. And so our job, as we see things that are counter to the righteousness of God, is to step up and step out and say something and be a part of bringing about the kingdom of God in this parenthetical season that we are in. And what I want you to know, your hurts, your tears, the injustice that has been done to you, okay, He's gonna set it right. 
it's gonna be made right. I can't tell you when, but it's gonna happen. And if you're here and you're, you may be one of those folks that have caused injustice in other places. And so you walk around with guilt and shame and things like that because of what you did. Do you know what's gonna happen when Jesus comes and sets all things right? You're gonna have a complete understanding of the righteousness of God that happened on the cross, that Jesus covered your sins with his blood, and there's none of that. There's no guilt and there's no shame. There's no regret, and you're gonna walk in righteousness that stuff's gonna be gone, even if you were a perpetrator of that stuff and you understand the finished work of Christ on the cross. So what did Jesus accomplish when he came to earth? He came to set things right, to bring about justice. And you can read all throughout the scripture for that to happen. And so if you're here, I want you to understand the heart and mind of God so when you do see something happening that's unjust, I want you to be a courageous follower of Christ and lovingly say, hey, that's not right. Let's step up and be Christ's church. And so knowing that he's sovereign, that he wants a relationship with you, that how he operates is serving, and what he wants to accomplish is justice, you can't stop any of that. That's gonna happen. Okay, it is gonna, it is written. That's what's gonna happen. Why wouldn't we fall on our knees, confess with our mouth, raise our hands, and worship him? Why, why wouldn't we? And so we need to be examining our life, letting the Spirit of God show us those places that are out of alignment with what God wants for us. He deserves for us to worship with all of our life. And so I'm gonna close with this. Always we want to apply what we've learned. And so how do we apply these ideas that Jesus being supreme and sovereign, he's a servant and his mission is to bring forth justice. How, how do we do that? So I'm just gonna go to a passage of scripture that some of you are familiar with. Let's read Romans 12, one and two. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is step one, to present yourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. Stop. Step one of changing your life is you doing this right here. God, I am yours. I wanna do whatever you tell me to do. I am yours. Jesus, it's the way I start my journal most mornings. Jesus, your servant is listening. One of the guys, I can't remember exactly where it is, but the guy who just, I think it's Pula Bethesda and John 5, but he just says, um, he just says, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. That's where you start. You present yourselves as a living sacrifice. You say, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice and holy sacrifice. It's your spiritual service of worship, full devotion, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then it goes on in verse two, do not be conformed to this world. That's step two, pay attention. What are you letting enter your mind and your heart that's coming from the world? 
And so you ought to examine that. And I'm not saying if you watch an an R-rated movie, things are gonna go crazy. I'm not saying that. But you do need to pay attention to what inputs you're taking in. JP, one of our young adult pastors for years at Watermark would say, hey, you may need to change your playground and your playmates. Because they're they're not helping you not be conformed. right? They're helping you be conformed to the world. And so you might have to make some changes. Do not be conformed to this world, step three, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that time with the Lord I was talking about, that needs to be full of God's word, okay? Because it's telling you how he wants you to live. He's telling you how much he loves you. He reminds you of how forgiven you are so guilt and shame doesn't wreck your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So when we were doing our elder meetings and folks were giving feedback and asking questions, one of the guys that's a buddy, he just said, hey, Kegs, if I could, uh, if, if I could, if you could have one thing for the church at City Bridge, what would that be? And I I just said, if everybody in our church would just spend more time with Christ, listening, okay, and time doesn't equal transformation, okay? The Holy Spirit is what transforms us, transforms us when we make ourselves available. That you would spend time with the sovereign God of the universe. And the second thing that I said was that you would begin to, our body would begin to initiate relationships that we would step out of our comfort zone and we would get to know people and we would ask questions and we would say, hey, tell me your story. Oh, that's so cool. Hey, my, my story intersects here. Let me tell you about my story. And we would be really good, okay, faithful, courageous at caring for people and sharing our story of grace. And so those are the things that I would have you grow in. Those are the things that Kyle and the leadership at this church need to grow in. And so City Bridge Community Church, I'm thrilled, I love the name, high call, safe place, I hope you shout that from the mountaintops, but don't you dare forget that this is about Jesus and his getting glory and his ability to transform lives, Grant and Carol, four generations. Okay, can you imagine the celebration in heaven that's gonna take place? Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.